Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Rabbi Dr. Bradley Shibby Artson, who you can learn more about at his website, bradartson.com, who holds the Abner and Rosalind Goldstein Dean's Chair of the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies and is Vice President of American Jewish University in Los Angeles, a member of the philosophy department. He's particularly interested in theology, ethics, and the integration of science and religion. He's also Dean of Zacharias Frankel College in Potsdam, Germany, ordaining conservative rabbis for Europe. Rabbi Artson, thank you for taking time to talk once again. It's my pleasure for us to be together. I always love our conversations. So do I. Thank, thank you so much. So to jump right in here, um, what are some of the insights about the human condition you think we can take away from this particular moment? So, you know, I, I guess I'd love for us to focus at the beginning on what we've learned we can't give up and what we've learned about who we are, both in terms of challenges and strengths. So what is clear we can't give up is each other, right? This, this whole period of settling in, of sheltering at home, has reminded us, as if we needed any reminding, that human beings thrive in the presence of other human beings. So even people who don't necessarily make going to synagogue a regular practice are coming to online programming in, in larger numbers than ever before. And the need for people to reach out to their communities and have communities that reach out to them has also been extraordinary. So for me, one of the things that it punctures is the notion that we can live independent lives. We are really products of each other and we thrive together with each other. And we need to remember that to bring that lesson back into the next phase of our existence. So that for me is the biggest piece of information to carry with us. And then the second is how hard it is. Like we know what we need to do to be responsible to show love for each other. We need to shelter, not only for our own benefit, but to protect the people we love, the people who are vulnerable. And it's so hard to do. You know, just this last weekend in California, they opened some of the beaches in Orange County and people flocked to them. Now, I completely understand after six weeks of being sheltered at home, if someone says you can go to the beach, you want to go to the beach. But there has to be a way in which we make choices, not on our short-term desires, but our long-term best interests. Yeah. And in all of those things, what it circles back to me is that human beings have created wisdom traditions, Judaism among them, but Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, there are a whole host of ways that we move in the world that allow us to carry each other with us and that allow us to focus not on what we lack, but what we have. 
that seems to me to be crucial for this time to double down on those lessons. Yeah. Amazing. So to pick up on this last point about wisdom traditions, what do you think is the particular role of faith, community, practice at a time like this? Well, I would say, Rabbi, that, that for me, faith is not about verifiable facts. I really am happy to leave that to the scientists. I'm willing to leave that to the health experts. They get to weigh in with the physical constraints. But what it all means, and how can I hold on to hope, and what can I do as a contribution, that's the realm of religion. So the question we're all grappling with right now are existential questions. How can I be part of a community when I'm not physically in contact? How can I help my fellow human beings when I'm sitting in a room? And, and what does it mean for me? How can I know, how can I remind myself that the universe hasn't shrunk down to the size of this room, but in fact that I will be going back out into it? And here what I've been telling my students is to think of this as a cosmic cocoon. And you know, when, when a caterpillar enters into a cocoon, it looks like it's not being active, but in fact, everything it's doing in there is to prepare for the day when it breaks out of the cocoon and it can soar. And so we need to be in our cosmic cocoon, thinking about what do we need to be doing now so that when the day comes that we can emerge back out again, we can be beautiful and resplendent and fly. I love that, I love that. Um, can we give ourselves permission to grieve at this loss? And can we somehow figure out how to hold hope at the same time? Yeah, so that's, isn't that the key test of life, right? The, the, the twin dangers that we face as human beings and as people of faith is there are those who want to tell us everything's gonna be fine, there's no need to worry, just put on your happy face. And I don't know about you, but for me, there's something that wells up in rage when people tell me I'm not allowed to mourn, I'm not allowed to grieve, I'm not allowed to have downtime. At the same time, if you just give yourself to your grief and your bitterness and your resentment, then you trap yourself in it, you lock yourself into it. So I think the challenge is to avoid both extremes. How do we integrate coming up with a way to grieve and a way to celebrate that reminds us to hold on to hope. So here's what I wanna say. I think Jewish tradition wisely teaches us that our story starts with degradation and enslavement. And there has to be a place to mourn that, to feel sorrow and anger and rage. But then we also have to mobilize to march out to the promise. And that promise is always in front of us. It's always ahead, we never get there. So, so now too, I wanna to invite us to do that same thing. Can we use this corona time? We have had something taken from us. The last month and a half of our lives was ripped away from us. There are gonna be thousands and thousands of people who don't get to graduate from high school, don't get all the activities of their senior year, don't get to graduate college and all that. Hundreds of thousands of people out of work, suffering from economic crisis, people who are in the tens of thousands either uh, 
severely ill right now or facing fear of something very serious, right? All of that is to be mourned. And, and people have every right, I wanna tell you and I wanna tell our listeners, people have every right to grieve and to be allowed to sit in their sorrow. And at the same time, we also have to remind ourselves that there will be a tomorrow in which this isn't the dominant presence. And we have to now be able to hold on to our hope to be able to stand up again and face that better tomorrow. So those dual challenges, I think that's what religion can help us with. Very nice, very nice. So in this moment, if we're holding both grief and hope, what does the Jewish intellectual tradition offer us in terms of, of how to understand the future, how to relate to the future? That is to say, um, are we to be pessimists? Are we to be optimists? Are we to be realists? We, based on the unknown, what am I to bring to the table about how I perceive the future? So, um, Shmuley, one of my favorite setups in Judaism is that according to the rabbis, we are living in a between time. We're living between the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem and the building of the third temple in Jerusalem. And so this is provisional, but, but provisional has been 2,000 years so far. And Judaism asks us to keep our day job. Yeah, 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 the temple will be rebuilt. Messiah's gonna come. But in the meantime, you have to live your life in the here and now. I think that is a powerful way of saying the world is broken. Someday the world will not be broken. And how we live in the in-between period, that will make all the difference. That's our story. So I believe in an ultimate redemption yet to come, but that's not supposed to be my focus. And I grieve the loss in the past. That is also not meant to be my ongoing focus. My job is what do I do this morning? What do I do this afternoon? How do I build a world in which we can thrive so that when the redemption comes, we're ready? We're back to that cocoon metaphor. But that's the dominant image. So let me give you a for instance. In traditional Jewish spiritual life, even though we haven't been able to make sacrifices for 2,000 years now, and there's no signs of that changing anytime soon, Somebody put into the beginning of our prayer books, paragraph after paragraph about sacrifices we don't make because they realized it's genius, I think, that it's important to read about the riches we once had and aspire to regain them one day. But then at the end of that, you close that part of the prayer book and you go on to prayers of the heart, not to sacrifices. And that's the world we live in now. So this is a time of coronavirus. We can remember the good old days. We can grieve what's been taken from us. And we can look forward to the time when we're past it. But now our job is to live now. So on this point of looking forward, many people are saying, you know, I just want to get back to normal. We want to get back to normal. Is normal what we should strive for? Should there be a new vision? I guess this is related to the Korbanot. Do we want sacrifices again? We don't have yeah. to go there if you don't want. But, but what, you know, do we wish to return to normal? Or is there some new vision? And, how, and if there is, how might we use this time to prepare for that new re renewed time to come? That's a great 
great conversation. I want to hear your thoughts on that too in a minute. So here's what I'll offer first. Um, I do think that there's a lot we can learn from this time. I'll give you two for instances that have changed my life already that are not going to go back to the way it was. I have two buddies who are friends of mine from grade school. And we started a weekly Zoom conversation. Once a week, six o'clock at night, every Wednesday night, I'm talking to Hans and Martin. And I could have done that all along. It's not like we didn't have the technology, it just never occurred to us. But this coronavirus pushed us to do something that's made our lives better. Last week I said, guys, you realize we're not gonna stop having these conversations. Once we get like, this is so wonderful to have these dear old friends who are now an active part of my life again. I'm not giving that up. We also started at the Ziegler School doing a monthly conversation with all of our alumni. Now we have 200 and some odd rabbis all around the world. Most of them didn't overlap. It's been over 20 years. We've never gotten together as an entire alumni group. And here we are, and it's a piece of paradise. So there's no way we're going to stop doing that once this passes. So that's what I'd like us to think about. Synagogues that have always had people who couldn't make it to services are now finding ways to accommodate them and let them taste the beauty of that moment. We're not going to go back at the end of this. There's going to have to be all kinds of ways, some halachic, some not halachic, some more creative, some less. But we're going to have to come up with ways to say, okay, we did find ways to make sure that the shut-ins could participate. We did find ways so that people with special needs could participate. We, all these groups who've always been there, and we just shrugged our shoulders and says nothing to do about it. Well, now there's something to do about it. So I think the challenge is going to be, can we take what we've learned in this period and bring it into a better future? What do you think? <laughs> well, thank you for asking. Um, there is certainly something about pace and priorities. I myself have uh, failed to pass on the gift to my children, which my parents gave me, of family dinners, uh, which we are now uh, fortunate to be able to do. But then there's the other obvious point as well around inequality and greed and who are the essential workers um, that yeah. make up society um, and how we relate to slaughterhouses, understanding um, disease and viruses. And then something around as well, this, uh, this spiritual consciousness of interconnectivity, um, which has become all the more clear for those who didn't need it and you touched on already. How to build that into our daily consciousness if it hasn't sunk in more deeply? So I would build on that, you know, one of the striking things, again, it's always been true. It's just that now everyone noticed there's a chasm between who gets the best compensation and who's an essential worker, mm -hmm. right? None of the top salary people are essential workers, <laughs> right? The people who are essential workers are the most vulnerable, the most at risk physically and financially. There is a racial component to it right and so if this isn't a kick in the pants to reprioritize the people who it turns out are essential for each of us if this isn't clear and empirical evidence that racial and economic disparities hurt everybody 
and that we all need to do something about it, well, that also could be the legacy of this period. We have to attend to that. Yeah, very well said. So um, I feel like I uh, want to honor your time, although I could you know, pick at your heart for, for hours. Just a final question for you today. Um, is there any particular Torah, uh, particular uh, Torah that shines light directly on this moment for you, unique opportunities we have to react and reflect and respond? So let me offer you, um, I'm sure you've thought of it too, but something very rabbinic. The part of the Torah that everyone thinks is most boring is Leviticus. And every year we read this stuff about Tuma and Tahara, impurity and purity, cleanliness and cleanliness, about the needs to wash your hands to try to remove the uncleanliness, the need to retreat and shelter before someone can declare it's safe to go back out in the community, the need to proclaim impurity so others don't get too close. All of a sudden, Leviticus isn't looking boring. It's looking really smart, right? Here we are with a biblical book that's all about social distancing and hygiene and cleanliness and purity and impurity. And suddenly it's like, wow, we didn't leave that behind. In the arrogance of modernity, we thought, oh, well, that's just ancient stuff. But, but it turns out, little tiny virus from China and whoosh, all around the world, we're back in Leviticus again. And so the wisdom of Leviticus is not about labeling people. It's about being mindful of what it takes to keep a community going during an age of contagion. What does it mean to have holiness in the camp? And that's what this is all about. So I've always thought that Vayikra is the pinnacle of the Torah. You know, if you think of the Bible as one of those camping maps where you can see the circles of the mountain showing what's higher, yeah. Leviticus is the high is the peak of the Torah, right? But it turns out all that stuff about social distancing, scrupulous hygiene, being supervised by Kohanim who tell you what's clean and what's not clean, that's all in the service of all of us coming together as one. So I've been sitting in Leviticus extra heavy this year. And life and death, the, the being Tame mate. And life and death, um, all about life and service of life. Right. And the ultimate triumph of life. It's not a neutral presentation. Ultimately, the holiness emerges with the life. Yeah. Beautiful. Friends, um, uh, you, you, will, you will only be richer to go to bradartson.com and to, to follow uh, Rabbi Dr. Bradley Shabit Artson on his Facebook page and beyond. Thank you so much for this time. Great to see you. Thanks a lot. Bless you.